I pray, God, that this week you would be glorified in their lives like never before, Jesus. Even right now, come, open hearts to hear what it is you want to speak. And as I'm praying, I'm going to ask if you would talk with God yourself right now. Say, Holy Spirit, open my heart. In your own way, talk to God. Say, open my heart. Speak to me, Lord. Thank you, God. Hallelujah, God. Hear the cries of these young ones. And I pray, God, that you would uh, now speak through me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. uh, We're going to put it up on the screen. It says, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. I want you guys to read that with me, okay? Is that all right? Let's go over it one more time. Come on. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Awesome. The title of this message is Highly Qualified. Highly Qualified. I chose that title because I believe that's the heart of Paul as he's writing to his spiritual son, Timothy. He is saying, despite your age, despite your different hang-ups, you still have an assignment. You still have a job to do. And you've been qualified. And you're highly qualified, not because of your gifts and your skills and your talents, but you're highly qualified because God, who sits on high, has qualified you. And that is what precisely Paul was saying to Timothy in this one verse, verse 12. And we're going to walk through it here in a second. But I have three thoughts I'm going to share, all right? The first one comes from the first part of this passage. It says, don't let, let's let's read it again. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. See, we can look at this and we take it and we're like, oh man, this is really encouraging me. Um, You know, I'm I'm young, or I'm 13, or I'm 14, or I'm 16, or I'm 17, and yeah, my parents, I need to show them this scripture. Like, don't look down on me because I'm young. Like, hey, mom, can I drive the car? But you're only 14. Show them this scripture. Don't look down on me because I'm young. No, that's called inappropriate usage of scripture. Do not do that, all right? God will not bless that. But I think sometimes we can look at this, and we can use this scripture to really inflate our egos as young people. And I'm going to talk with you all as though I'm also a young person. But that's not the heart of God right here. Paul was not writing this to Timothy to say, think highly of yourself. He was saying, think highly of God. In fact, I want to do something. I promised myself I would do something before we get started here. Are you guys down for a quick selfie? Are you guys for down? Okay, cool. Why don't you stand up and, and, and make sure that we get a good shot. Come on. You can get out of your seats. All right, here we go. I'm going to send this to all of our supporters. I'm going to put this on, on our newsletter. Okay. Okay, on the count of three, everybody say rhythm and color. Okay? Oh, this is awesome. This is awesome. Come on, make your best faces too. One, two, three. Rhythm and color. Okay, one more, one more. One, two, three. Rhythm and color. Awesome. I took about 40 selfies. Sweet. Sweet.
Come on, be honest. How many of you took a selfie today? Raise your hand if you took a selfie today, besides what we just took. All right, cool. I figured that. Well, let me tell you a little bit about myself, all right? Um, well, first off, I'll get into a little bit about myself, but here's our first point. Take a spiritual selfie. Mmm. Mmm. Take a spiritual selfie. I'm going to make sense of it here in a moment. But we're going to keep that up for a, a quick second. And let me tell you a little bit about myself. My dad is actually a professional photographer. My dad's been doing photography for at least 25, probably closer to 30 years. And so as a child of a professional photographer, I think I am uniquely qualified, or should I say I'm highly qualified to walk you through this next lesson that I'm about to walk you guys through. Are you guys in the mood for some teaching? Probably not, right? Come on. School hasn't started back, but you're about to get a history lesson right now on photography. This is a very, very, very important history lesson, so I need you guys to listen up. I want to first walk you guys through, are you ready for this? The history of selfies. The history of selfies. Let's put that slide up. The history of selfies. What is a selfie? A selfie is a noun. It's a self-shot photo usually taken with a mobile phone and posted online to social media sites. Come on, I'm teaching you guys right now. You guys aren't ready for this. All right. All kinds of people, from kids to celebrities, are taking advantage of smartphone camera technology and slick photo editing apps to not only show others what they're up to, but also look perfect while they're doing it. We are now in the age of the selfie. And you're probably looking at this like, I know what a selfie is. But now you have a definition. And I hope you guys are taking notes. This is very important. This is very spiritual that you guys know what a selfie is. Take you to the next slide. The history of self. I have a timeline on the history, the evolution of the selfie. Track with me. In 2005 through 2008, MySpace. You guys don't even know about MySpace, do you? How many of you guys know about MySpace? Anybody here? Anybody has a MySpace account? Wave at me. I hope not. I hope you don't have a MySpace account. But check it out. MySpace from 2004 to 2008 was the largest social network in the world and it birthed the MySpace pick. But selfies had yet to come in. And then, from two, in 2009, Facebook overtook MySpace in traffic, and its design encouraged higher quality profile pictures. Basically, they encouraged people to take nice profile pictures. We know how important nice profile pictures are when it comes to Facebook. Well, in 2010, Apple released the iPhone. Now, it was the iPhone 4, iPhone 4. Now, when Apple released the iPhone 4, for the first time, it had front-facing cameras. And that is when users had complete control over framing his or her selfies. And iPhone did this to deal with the phenomenon of people taking pictures of themselves with their phones. In 2011, Instagram releases hashtags and more filters, allows users to edit contrast, brightness, and color tones of photos. 2013, everybody say 2013. 2013, selfie officially was added to the Oxford Dictionary. Everybody say 2013. That was the birth of the selfie revolution. 
and you guys are in it right now. Come on, give you guys a, give yourselves a hand clap right now because you guys are part of the selfie generation. You guys are like, why did Pastor Joe invite this guy here to give us the history of selfies? Because my dad is a photographer. But here's something else I did. After looking through the selfies and trying to figure some things out, I did some research and I found the first ever selfie taken in the history of mankind. I'm serious. I know. I found the first ever selfie taken. Are you guys ready for this? I don't think you guys are. Come on, talk to me. Are you guys ready for this? Hold on to your seats. Next, next, Next slide. First ever selfie. Do you see that? The woman, this is undated, but some of my research tells me it was around probably 17, 1800. That's my own personal research. But you see that camera, what she's holding, that's a camera, and she's actually facing a, a tall mirror to take a selfie. Come on, somebody say first ever selfie. First ever selfie. This is historic, people. This is up there with the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Come on, you guys need to appreciate the selfie. What's the point of all of this? Todd, why are you talking about selfies? Because God wants you to take a spiritual selfie. And let me explain. We'll keep that up. Paul, if you read in 1 Timothy 4.12, Paul was constantly reminding Timothy of who he is as a child of God. Paul was Timothy's spiritual father. Just like you guys have boot camp this week, and we have different speakers. You have your leaders. You have the pastors. They are here to remind you of who you are as children of God. That's what the Apostle Paul was doing to Timothy. Not just in this passage in verse 12, but throughout 1st and 2nd Timothy. I would encourage you to read the books of 1st and 2nd Timothy. I believe you was so relate to Timothy because Timothy was young. In fact, when he first met Paul, he was a teenager. And so we see now he's actually a pastor of a church. But Paul, as his spiritual father, was still pouring into him, reminding him of who he was as a child of God. But if you read through the first and second books of Timothy, what you will get is a profile of a young man of God who was very timid. Are you guys familiar with the passage? God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of love and of power, and of self-discipline. If you're familiar with that passage, just wave at me, okay? That was Paul writing it to Timothy. Why? Because Timothy struggled with fear. Timothy struggled with, hello, insecurities. Any of you here, you don't have to raise your hands, but are any of you here struggling with insecurities? Probably so. You guys raised them anyway. Come on now. We have a very transparent group. He struggled with insecurities about a number of things, not just his age. Listen to this. Timothy, had, he was biracial. His mom was Jewish. His dad was Greek. And in that time, as a new Christian, there were many issues that came with that. And so we see the profile of a young man who was insecure based off his age, his ethnicity, his nationality. And what Paul was saying right here He was saying, take a spiritual selfie because it doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter your nationality. It doesn't matter your gift set. It doesn't matter your your, your talents. None of that matters. All that matters is who you are in Christ. And that's what Paul was trying to get across to Timothy. None of that matters. 
What matters most is that you are a man of God and you are a woman of God. And what Paul was essentially doing, he was taking all the excuses out of the picture. I want to hit you with this. Please write this in your, in your journals. Your identity must be founded in Christ. Your identity must be founded in Christ. In fact, let's say that, let's say not your, but my identity. Let's say it together, guys. My identity must be founded in Christ. One more time. My identity must be founded in Christ. As I'm reading this to you, I'm reading this to myself because we always have to be reminded of who we are in Christ. Just like Timothy, many of you here have a lot of voices coming at you. Maybe a lot of people are looking down on you because you are young. And not looking down on you, I'm not talking even older people, but maybe your peers are saying, you know what, you're only 14, 15, 16, 17. You don't need to be that serious about God. That's for older folks. They're looking down on you because of your age. Don't allow that. You need to be reminded of who you are in Christ. That's what matters the most. Now, the Bible, the Bible tells us, is, is, is compared to a number of things. The Bible is compared to the bread of life. The Bible is compared to a hammer that breaks the hearts that are stony. And the Bible is actually compared to a mirror. If you've looked in a mirror today, I want you to think about something. A mirror tells you how you look, right? Really basic stuff. When we look in the mirror, it tells me how I look. And <laughs> like somebody once told me, mirrors don't lie. They just tell you how you look. Come on, you guys just finished eating. If somebody has something in their teeth, Come on, if you really love your brother or sister, you're going to let them know. I don't know about you, but I would like for somebody to let me know. But if I look in the mirror, I'm going to know if something is in my tooth, in between my teeth. What am I getting at? The Bible shows us who we are in Christ. The Bible is that selfie that we can take. And I believe God wants you to be reminded of who you are in Christ because when you take a selfie... In Christ, as Christians, you don't see yourself. I don't know if you guys got that. When you take a selfie as a Christian, a spiritual selfie, what do you see? What do you see? I want to hear from the students. What do you see if you take a spiritual selfie as a Christian? You don't see yourself. If you're a Christian, you see Christ. Because you're in Christ. And when God sees you, you're covered in the blood. And he sees not your failures, not your struggles, not your age, not your shortcomings. He sees Christ. And in Christ, we have every single thing that we need. Let me run down to you a few things here about your identity in Christ. I'll ask you a quick question, in fact. What do you know that the Bible tells you about who you are in Christ? Let's talk about identity for a moment. 
What do you know? What does the Bible tell you, students, about who you are as a Christian? Come on, Bible scholars, talk to me. What's that? That you're a child of God. And as a child of God, what does that give you access to? What does that give you access to? Hold on, somebody. What's that? The Father. Good stuff. As a child of God, you have access to the Father. There's many things the Bible says that we have the blessings and the, the, the access to as Christians, and we should know those things. And here's the problem. If we don't know what the Bible says about who we are and our identities, then we're going to allow the world and others to tell us who we are. And that's a dangerous place to be. Let me give you a couple of things here. In Christ, you have the capacity to intimately know God as our Father, as my sister Blessing, that's your name, my sister Blessing said. Write that down. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. In Christ... You are free from a guilty conscience. That's Romans chapter 5, verse 9. This is not up on the screen. This is for my notes. I'm just giving you a couple of things about your identities in Christ. Because here's the problem. If you don't know that you can intimately know God as your father, you're going to find yourself dissatisfied in your relationship with God. If you don't know that you are free from a guilty conscience because you're in Christ and the blood of Jesus covers you, then guilt and shame is going to wreck your life. Please don't raise your hands. But how many of us here today are dealing with guilt because of something we've done maybe in the last 48 hours? How many of you are dealing with shame and guilt because of something that was done to you? See, if you don't understand that in Christ, the blood of Jesus covers that, and we can find our identity in him, and we are brand new creations. Can somebody say amen? Amen. In Christ, I'll give you one more. In Christ, you've been made complete. You are complete in him. Colossians chapter 2, verse 10. What happens when we're not complete We don't know that we're complete in Christ. I'll tell you what happens because it happened to me. We begin to look everywhere to complete us. We begin to look for relationships, companionships, friendships. We begin to want our, we have to be part of a certain friendship circle in our junior highs or our high schools because we feel like if we're part of the cool crowd, or the athletic crowd, or the smart crowd, then I'll feel better about myself. And if they reject me, then I'll feel less about myself. That is not the will of God. If you read Colossians 2 and 10, it tells you that you are complete in God. And in Jesus, you have everything you need. And so in relationships and friendships, you can be there to give the love of God, even if others give you the opposite. Does that make sense? Wave at me if that makes sense. Does that make sense? I want us to get this. Who we are in Christ, it's a beautiful thing. Why does it have to be a spiritual selfie? Why selfie? You want to know why? Because a selfie, who takes the picture if you're taking a selfie? Come on, who? 
yourself. Spiritually speaking, no one else can capture who you are in Christ for you. You have to capture it yourself. No one can tell you. I can tell you. Pastor Joe and others can tell you. And we will because God has called us to. But it would not really sink in deep until you get alone with God and allow God to tell you who you are in Christ. Somebody say, take a spiritual selfie. That's what God is telling us to do. Take a spiritual selfie. The next thing that we see in this passage, it says, be an example. Be an example. He jumps to that or set an example. I think sometimes we could tend to accept the lower bar of we, we allow others and we allow ourselves to look down on us because of our age. We have ages here from probably, what, 12 through probably 17 or so? Is that a, a good range, right, or 18? And you know what we do as young people? We actually use our age as an out. It gives us the excuse to not be that serious about God. It gives us the excuse to have our little fun while we can. <laughs> That's what the devil tries to tell us. Have our fun while we can. And then maybe later on when we're 20, after we get out of college, 22, 23, 24, then we'll do what God has called us to do. Because right now, we're young and God understands. You don't have to nod your head, but you guys know what I'm talking about. Come on, let's be real. Can we be real? That's what happens. Because that's how I was when I was younger. I was in my youth group, and it was, I just played church. I went to church, it was fun, we socialized, but I figured this is good because it's helping me get ready for the future when I really get serious about God. But that's not the way it's supposed to work. Sometimes we accept that lower position because with a lower position comes less responsibility. Did you guys get that? If we accept that we are less than because of our age, then what we're accepting is that we don't have as much to do. My son, Ethan, did you guys see my son, Ethan? I'm, I talk about him a lot. He's awesome. We love our son. What if I woke up one day and I realized, man, we need a new fridge. And I went and I looked at our fridge and I made a call to Home Depot. We need a new fridge. I ordered the fridge. I paid for the fridge. And they say, we're going to come bring your fridge. Just make sure the fridge is outside waiting when we get there. And what if I say, Ethan, I need to carry this fridge down the stairs. Come, help me. Come on. What would you guys think? Like, I'm nuts, right? No way. Why? Because he's smaller and with smaller stature. And by him being a very a baby comes less responsibility. There's no way I would ask him to do that because I know he can't. And what we do, we accept this role as being young and unable or unqualified, and we say, nah, that's for somebody else to do. But that's not the case. That's why Timothy, Paul told Timothy, it doesn't matter your age, you still are called to set an example. Please, say it together. Set an example. Let me give you a definition of that word example. The word example is the word image means the word impression, the mark as of a blow, a pattern. 
Have you guys ever played sports and you got an injury and it left you black and blue? Come on. That's what it's talking about. Oh, my goodness. See, there we go. That's, brother, you've been marked. You've been marked. The mark of a blow or a pattern. What God was telling Timothy, and I believe God is telling us, live your life in such a way that God has marked you and others are marked by you. Is your life leaving an impression? And what it's getting at when it talks about an impression, it's not talking about a one-time deal. It's saying a pattern, something that's happening over and over and over and over again to the place where there is a pattern that has been established. Someone say rhythm. Rhythm. Come on, you guys are familiar with that word this week. week. Rhythm. That's why God is calling us to be in rhythm, not just live for the moment. Some people live for the moment. I was once that person before I gave my heart to Jesus. God is not calling us to live for the moment. God is saying, I want you to live in a rhythm. I want you to be consistent, whether you're at second place church or whether you're with your friends from high school or whether you're out playing a basketball game. I want you to be in my rhythm. God is calling you to set a rhythm or set an example. And here's my point. The first one was take a spiritual selfie. Somebody say, take a spiritual selfie. My second point is to dance with the one who brought you. Dance with the one who brought you. God wants us to be in a rhythm. And God was telling Timothy, look, I still have a purpose for your life. I don't care about your age or your ethnicity or anything else that you are insecure about because it's all about Jesus and who you are in Christ. And in Christ, you're a child of God, Timothy. And since you're a child of God, you also have the call of God. Look at your neighbor and say, I have the call of God. Come on, say it with some more umph. Say, I have the call of God. And now tell them, With even more umph, you have the call of God. And you're responsible. See, you guys missed that part. And you're responsible. See, what I'm getting at is this. Dance with the one who brought you. Jesus, you're giving me everything I need as a child of God. And so as a child of God, I'm going to dance with the one who brought me, and I'm going to embrace the will of God. I'm going to embrace the call of God. And what was God's call? To set an example, to set a pattern, to set a rhythm. Dance with the one who brought you. We want to finish up here in a moment, but I don't know if you guys get this this whole dance with the one who brought you illustration or this, this, this point right here. It comes from the idea that if you go to a dance, whether it's a junior high dance, do they have those junior high dances? Okay, I'm just saying, I'm from the city. We didn't have junior high dances. We were just glad we made it through junior high. Thank you, Jesus. Right? We had high school dances. But you go to a dance. How would you guys feel? Look at me for a moment. How would you feel? You go to a dance. The person, they, they pick you up and you go to the dance. As soon as you walk through the door, they drop you. And they walk over here, and they start dancing with someone else. They ignore you for the entire dance. Come on, somebody say, we got a problem. Yeah, that's going to be a major problem, right? Dance with the one who brought you. You talk about, that's like the height 
of disrespect and disloyalty. Let me tell you a quick story about me when I was growing up. In fact, this was in junior high. In junior high, I was an artist. And I mean like a legit artist. I actually, one day, Ms. Durant, my art teacher, I was in the seventh grade. She said, I want you guys to just draw a chair. I did not want to do this whatsoever. I just put whatever together, and it looked like a horn when I was done with it. So I called it the horn chair, and I turned it in. Two weeks later, she calls me into her office. She says, Todd, this is great. She said, I have a friend who's an artist named Lloyd. He wants to make this chair. And so for the next six months, God is my witness. I have this on video. We actually, I would go to his loft style apartment on the north side of Chicago, and we made a chair. It came to life. It was a horn chair. Come on, give it up for me, please. Give it up. Give it up. Uh-huh. Yep. Yep. I did that. I did that. I'm, by God's grace, right? So, but the chair was ugly. It was really ugly. And so the big reveal came in like fall of that year. And we did it for the entire school. So all of my friends from school came and they came and they're looking at all these chairs, state-of-the-art, really pretty chairs. I didn't appreciate art for what it was. And this was like really, really ugly in my estimation. So you know what I did? I stayed away from that chair the entire time. I was walking around saying hi to my friends, all this and that. And then Ms. Durant pulled me to the side. She said, Todd, you guys put in so much work and Lloyd put in so much work and so much money. You need to go over there and you're going to appreciate and stand by that chair. And I stood by the chair like this for the rest of that time. It was really a painful situation. That was very disloyal, very disrespectful. I did not dance with the one who brought me. Sometimes, as Christians, we say, I'm a child of God. But when it comes to doing the will of God, we don't dance with the one who brought us. When it comes to embracing God's plan for our lives, we don't dance with the one who brought us. Speaking of disloyalty, I'm going to show you guys a picture here just in one moment, but we're on the south side, so I'm imagining. Any baseball fans? Any baseball fans? All right. Um, so I'm going to imagine that White Sox fans? White Sox? Okay, okay, okay. Any Cub fans? Any Cub fans? Wow. Pastor Joe, a house divided. A house divided. Well, I'm going to make this really quick, but let me, let me just... I'm, a, I'm from the north side, okay? So you guys might imagine... Who's my team? Wrong. I'm a White Sox fan, actually. I'm just kind of like the black sheep like that, I guess. I've just always liked the White Sox. But, hey, the Cubs, you guys are the world champions, so it is what it is. My wife knows that. We got married. She knew I was a White Sox fan, so she became a White Sox fan because she married into it. Ethan's a White Sox fan by birth. We live, we live in Wrigleyville, five minutes from Wrigley Field. It was a very painful year last fall. Let me just pray, pray for a brother. Pray for me. Um, while I'm out doing work last Wednesday, I'm in a meeting in downtown Chicago, and my wife sends me a text of a picture. <clears throat> and let me show you the picture that she sent me. Take a look at this picture right here. She takes a picture. Do you, do you guys know who that guy is? That's not me. <clears throat> so number one, it's not her husband that she's taking a picture with. Number two, it's a guy by the name of Addison Russell who happens to be the all-star shortstop for the Chicago Cubs. This was less than five days ago. I get this. Why are you guys clapping? No, treason, disloyalty. She didn't dance with the one who brought her. Come on. 
Somebody say disloyalty. Of course, I posted this. It's amazing. And it's a selfie. And he's taking the selfie. It's so wrong. So wrong. Anyway, we had a lot of fun with it. My son, does, my son, you see the look? Ethan is like, that's that White Sox fan in Ethan that's like, no, no, no. Something's not right here. Something's not right here. All of that to say this, okay? I'm going somewhere with this. All of that to say, as God's child, embrace God's call. Dance with the one who brought you. Paul was saying, Timothy, you're a child of God, number one. Number two, there's a plan and there's a purpose for your life. And that is to set an example. That is to live in rhythm. What is God's call? What is God's plan for your life? I want to share with you one story. A young man named Austin. That's the last picture on that of those three, Pastor Joe. I'm going to skip a couple of um, stories here. Austin, he has a microphone in his hand if you're looking for it. Austin is a young man who came from Southern California. We do campus ministry. We work with um, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> work with college students on different campuses, and one of the campuses, do you have it, Pastor Joe? Austin, you can put it up. <clears throat> Austin came <clears throat> as a philosophy major, got connected to our ministry, bright, bright guy, Northwestern University. He came, and he had some athletic abilities, so he tried out for the football team. He's a young man of God who said, and he's a Christian. He said, Todd, I want you to mentor me. So I've been mentoring Austin till this day. He tried out for the football team because he wanted to be a light to the campus. He wanted to live in God's rhythm. He wanted to dance with the one who brought him. He wanted to embrace God's plan for his life. He tried out for the team. He made the team as a walk-on. Northwestern football, Big Ten football. He made the team. The next year, he got a little playing time. The following year, they gave him a scholarship because he was performing well. Last year, Austin Carr was the number one receiver in all of the Big Ten. Austin Carr performed so well to the glory of God. Every time he connected with friends and, and others who he, he got connected to through his athletic abilities, he shared about Jesus. He was living on purpose. God blessed him so much that three months ago, Austin signed on. Next slide, Pastor Joe. He signed on as a free agent with the New England Patriots. God is using this young man. Yeah, we can give God a hand for that. But let me tell you, I had the honor three weeks ago of standing up with him at his wedding, sharing the gospel at his wedding. Austin is a world changer. But it's not about Austin and his athletic abilities. He was available. He said, God, I want you to use my life for your glory. I can stand here all day and tell you student after student after student who said, God, I want to live in your rhythm. But the last thing I want to share with you, not only do we need to dance with the one who brought us, we need to let the Holy Spirit lead us. We need to let the Holy Spirit lead us. And what I mean by that is, if God is the one who's taking us to the dance, let him lead in the dance. You ever dance with someone, you're doing one dance, but they're doing a different dance? Anybody here, you ever done, done that before? No? No? That's kind of, somebody say awkward. That's kind of awkward, right? This person's on this beat, this one is on that beat. Let me show you a scripture, a scripture that we find in Ephesians chapter 2. 
For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared, say those two words, in advance, for us to do. The Holy Spirit has already prepared a dance for you and I. The Holy Spirit is a choreographer of the dance. So we need to like be moving with the Holy Spirit. Let me give you a better passage. The next passage in Galatians 5, 25. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step. Everybody say in step. In step step with the Spirit. As we close in prayer, I want to encourage you to trust that the Holy Spirit has all the right moves. All the right moves. What are the latest dances out right now? Catch, I'm an old guy. Come on, catch me up. Don't be ashamed. Your pastor's not listening. Your parents aren't listening. What, what are the latest dances right now? Just give me a name of one. Oh, my. <laughs> Make up a dance and give me a name. What's that? Pick a frost? What's that? Hit the folks? Hit the folks? Oh, that sounds violent. All right. You don't want to be doing hit the folks if the Holy Spirit is dabbing. All right? You guys get what I'm saying? Okay, I just started something. My point is, keep in step with the Holy Spirit. How do we keep in step with the Holy Spirit? By doing what he's called us to do. And this is what he's called us to do. Let the Holy Spirit lead you in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. That's the color part. Keep in step. This is how I'm going to wrap this up. Look at me. I have one last line. All right? You're a child of God. You are a child of God. As a child of God, embrace the will of God. Embrace the will of God. And if you're going to fulfill the will of God, you must be led by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is always in sync with speaking what is lovely, with living what is holy, with loving people with God's love, believing with God's faith, and walking in God's purity. You can't separate God's plan for your life from obedience. We need to be obedient. Amen? I got some questions for you as we close. In fact, yeah, I want you to take a few minutes. I want you to take about, let's just say four minutes and ponder these questions. What most defines who you are and how you see yourself? What does the Bible say about what defines who you are? How is God accomplishing his will through your life? Are you living in God's rhythm amongst your friends? I want you to take a few minutes, think it over, pray it over, and then Pastor Joe will be up here. But let me pray with you. If you can bow your heads with me. Those questions will stay up on the screen too. God, I pray, Lord, help us, God, to know our identities in Christ. I pray for these young ones. I pray this week would be a reminder that they are children of God, regardless of anything about them physically, emotionally, financially. They are children of God if they've given their hearts to you as their Savior. Lord, I pray that they would embrace and know your plan for their lives. May they set examples. May they live in rhythm. 
And I pray, God, that they will allow you to lead them by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can look at the questions and then Pastor Joe will be up.